Um, my favorite story to tell um, about employment is um, it was through Silverleaf Resorts, their timeshare company. Me and two other friends, my two roommates at the time, we went in there. It's a call center. So you put in an application, they call you the next day, start orientation probably the next week. It's a really easy job to get. So we went in, put in an application. They got a call the next morning. And I was like, okay, well, let's just write on this for a minute. They have till five, you know, I'll give them till five o'clock. Do, 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 nothing. So, okay, I already know, I already know what's going. I see, I know why I didn't get a call back. So the next day I, I went in actually, and I asked to speak to the director of the call center. And luckily he was available. So all I had to do, we went to a conference room. I showed him that I can type on a computer. I showed him that I can write a reservation slip. And I wound up in the same orientation class with my friends. But because of the hiring manager, he doubted me. He didn't think I could write. He didn't think I could type, nor did he even ask if I could do, could perform these job duties. He just assumed. And if I didn't have the mindset that I have, I would have lost that battle. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. And hey, welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I'm your host, Dan Moyle, and I believe in the power of story. You see, from like personal connections to the business relationships, storytelling connects us. It's what separates us from all other life on earth. And we're about to dive into yet another great story with a fantastic storyteller. But before we do, one quick reminder that our website has great resources available for you. Past episodes, contact information for me, everything you need to know about the Storytellers Network. It's all on our website, thestorytellersnetwork.com. And if you're new, just testing the waters maybe with us, with me, text storytellers to 31996 to subscribe. Today's guest is David Powell. And his inspirational journey began at birth when he was born without hands and with malformed legs. Now, these are challenges that have never slowed him down. And as we talked through the conversation, I could tell it definitely does not slow him down. Uh, David was born in New Orleans, as a child, he got around in an electric wheelchair around the town using his feet as his hands. After his parents separated, like, like many of us in America today, right? His parents separated. He actually relocated to Dallas, Texas eventually. And then he then became patient at a hospital for children that he'll talk about where he started actually walking with the help of prosthetics. But the interesting thing is it actually wasn't that great for him. And you'll find out why. Fascinating story. And now David is actually a motivational speaker, uh, being in front of audiences from, from students to professionals all across the country. And he's just starting off on his, his uh, speaking career. So it's really cool to talk to this motivational speaker at the beginning of this, what, what I think is going to be a huge career, and to get his perspective on why he's doing it, on storytelling in general, and what you know, what we would all consider disability has done for his career. So very interesting. I hope you enjoy it. I will, I will shut up. Without further ado, let's get to David's story. 
So I appreciate you joining me, David, uh, making time to, to speak to the Storytellers Network listeners. Uh, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So do you consider yourself a storyteller? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. My, when I have my speaking hat on, that's what I do is tell, I don't want to say tell stories. I just tell stories, but I'm telling stories through my experiences to help other people. That's, that's my goal with my speaking, my speaking hat. Yeah. So to help other people. Absolutely. And, and you have a pretty incredible story. I mean, I mentioned a little bit in my intro, but you know, you're, you obviously get up on stage, you talk, you, you talk about living with disability and living well. So let's talk a little bit about your story. Um, where does that kind of start for you? Um, I was born in New Orleans, um, Louisiana, 1986. Um, my mom and dad were then married and they, they, well, let me back up a minute. They met in Salina, Kansas, where I live now, okay. and they actually met in recovery. They were both recovering drug addicts and alcoholics. So they started dating. She became pregnant with me, and my mom still had family in Louisiana. That's where she's from. And so they all moved down to New Orleans, and then that's where I was born. Uh, my mom and dad, they never really got along that well. I mean, they had their moments, but you know, as a whole, they really never saw eye to eye on stuff. Uh, my dad grasped the concept of recovery when my mom did not, where she just wanted to stay at home and, and use and drink all day, and that's not what he was about. So it didn't work out with the marriage. They divorced when I was about two. And with the state of Louisiana, they're all about the mothers and children staying with the mothers. So I stayed with my mom. Uh, my dad hung out for about a year or two, and then he got a job in Dallas, Texas. So I went to visit him, you know, every other holiday and during the summertime. And... Um, it was that way for about nine years. I was in a wheelchair. I wasn't walking at that time because at the time New Orleans had their technology was definitely in the dumps. It wasn't that great. So we tried a couple of braces here and there, but nothing really turned of it. So I was in an electric wheelchair that I operated with my nub. And um, it was a lot of fun. You know, it went 10 miles an hour. I gave friends about the wheelie bars. <laughs> but uh, the one thing it hindered me is it hindered my freedom as far as to if I wanted to go with a friend to a movie or if I wanted to go somewhere, there had to be a truck or a lift to get the wheelchair in. And it was an electric one with a boat battery. So it was very, very strenuous. And it is, just wasn't fun doing that. So um, I went without my, my wheelchair when I went to go hang out with friends and whatnot because I can get around without them pretty well. And still to this day, I can. Um, my dad, when I was nine years old, um, my mom did struggle a lot, and I think that's where I get my figuring out how to do things on my own mindset from, because I was left on my own a lot of times. You know, my mom was an awesome mom when she was sober, but when she was not sober, I had to pin for myself a lot, mm. whether that was going in the fridge and getting a drink, pouring a cup of milk, um, getting some fruit out of the fridge, um, you know, that kind of stuff. So I, some parents may perceive that as neglect, and it may have been but the blessing that came out of that is I, I always figure out a way to do stuff with what I got. Mm -hmm. I'm a very independent person and I credit that from that situation. But um, anyway, my dad saw, saw all that and he, he had his moments where he almost got custody of me before. But when I was nine, I went to go visit him on Mardi Gras. And the night before I was supposed to be coming home, uh, my dad got a call saying my mom had passed out at a restaurant and went to inpatient treatment. 
there was no one to pick me up from the airport. So that's when he pulled the trigger and got custody of me. Um, I remember that <laughs> it wasn't fun happening because I was ripped away from my life in New Orleans, which was for the best. Now being an adult, looking back on that was the best thing that he could have done. But being a nine-year-old kid at the time, I not only was ripped away from my mom, but I was ripped away from all my friends, my school. Uh, my dad was remarried at the time, so I all of a sudden had three brothers and a sister. I wasn't the only child anymore, so it was just a big transition. And um, so I moved to Texas. That's when I started walking. I went to Texas Scottish Rite Hospital for Children. They're a charity hospital where everything is free. The prosthetics are free. The visits were free. Um, I went inpatient for two weeks when I first moved. That way we had nothing but all day to work on getting new legs. Um, I took off with it. I was a really fast learner because it was something I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to, I started elementary over again. I was in fourth grade when I moved. <laughs> Sorry about my kid in the background. <laughs> you got a busy house. I, I get it. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, so I moved to Texas. Um, I got my legs. I was in fourth grade. So I started school. Um, making friends for me has never been a, a hard thing to do because I have a very outgoing personality and I'm a lot of fun to be around. So making friends was not an issue. Um, when I first moved, I was still in my wheelchair because, you know, it, it, learning how to walk is one thing, but gaining the endurance and the strength to walk all over, you know, walk all the, all the time and everywhere is another story that took a long time to do. Now, when I was in my wheelchair, I had my feet at my disposal. That's my big foot right there with my toes. I have four mm -hmm. toes on each foot. I have a little foot too. It's a little bit shorter than my, my, my left foot, but um, mm -hmm. I used my feet for everything growing up. I, I wrote. I fed myself. I I did everything with my feet. So when I started walking on prosthetics, that means my feet are longer, no longer at my disposal. And I had to relearn how to do everything with my arms. Oh, wow. So I remember in fifth grade, when I started wearing my legs more often, I just sat in a desk. I was like, all right, let's figure this out like we always do. And I grabbed the pen, I held the pen like this in between my arm and my cheek. Oh, yeah. And I write like that. Um, taught myself how to do everything again with my arms. That way I can walk and use my feet. Huh. Or that way I can walk in my prosthetics without using my feet. Yeah. So I started walking at around the fifth or sixth grade using my arms to do everything. Um, I was on, in all normal classes. Um, went into junior high. Then I went into high school. And one thing about me, I don't like adaptive um, occupational therapists always trying to give me adaptive equipment that would make my life easier. But the way I see it, that's just one more thing I have to tote around and to make sure I have all the time. Then I have to worry about getting it out and putting it up and all that nonsense that goes with that. So I'm a stubborn individual <laughs> and I just went without adaptive equipment and just learned how to be self-sufficient with what I have. So I graduated high school and remember when I start getting into this, my mom and dad were both alcoholic drug addicts. So it's in the blood. Um, I do believe it's genetic. Um, so in high school, I did start the, the party and the drinking thing, maybe a little bit of pot every now and then, but it wasn't a, a huge deal at that time. Mm -hmm. um, so after I graduated high school, I'd gotten a scholarship. And at that time, my, me and my parents both should have investigated it a little bit more. My goal was to move back to New Orleans to go to a junior college and to transfer to LSU. 
the day after I graduated, I moved to New Orleans. Um, I stayed with a friend of mine and starting attending Delgado Community College. And I was on my scholarship and I went to enroll for the fall because that was summer of 2004. And come to find out the scholarship was only good for two semesters. And I don't know how my parents didn't know that. I don't know how I didn't know that, but that's what it was, which made me have to move back to Texas. And it was right before Katrina hit too. So that may have been a blessing in disguise. Oh, wow. Yeah. So <clears throat> I started community college back home. Um, I had got a job at a call center. I had gotten an apartment with a few friends from high school. And me and two of my roommates, we kind of were on the same page where, yes, we were in college. Did we go to class that often? No. <laughs> were we too worried about where the party was and the party life? Yes. We had room, one roommate that was all about school and ended up getting his master's degree. But we fell in that crowd of the party crowd. And believe it or not, I got stuck in that scene for 10 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it was looking back. I don't know how I lived through that. I mean, the drinking turned into, I tried everything under the sun, but when I got into opiates, that's what took me down. I don't know what it is about opiates with me, but it was the best feeling in the world. And when you take them for a lengthy time, you get physically addicted. And if you don't take them, you get sick. So, and I'm talking to flu times 10, anyone that goes with, with opiate withdrawal is, it's, I don't wish that upon my worst enemy. So uh, I fell down that path for until I was 29. Um, when I was 26, I did move to Salina because that's where my dad got clean and he had some contacts up here. So I moved up here. Um, I stayed sober for about three months and I wasn't ready yet. I found a doctor and started swindling her. That was another thing I was good at was manipulating doctors because I have a hip that is not like me and your hip. It's not a ball and socket. It's pretty much a bone attached to my pelvis. So when I say something hurts, the doctor can't be like, no, it doesn't hurt because he doesn't know. Yeah. So they state my word on it. Hmm. And in the early mid two thousands, I was doctor hopping. They weren't cracking down hardcore yet on doctor shopping and prescriptions at that time. So that's what I did in 2015. Um, I was on a friend's couch one day coming down and, I can't explain it more than a light bulb went off or God talked to me, however you want to put it. But I was at then at that time, almost 30, I was 29, didn't have a career, didn't have a, a family. I've always talked about being a speaker from a young age. Um, and I have a huge passion for football. So my dreams are either being a football commentator or an inspirational, motivational speaker. So it kind of came to that you're not doing anything with your life. You're not getting any younger. You're almost 30. You need to get your butt here and do something about it. So I got my, I had a couple of contacts in Kansas still. I got a plane ticket back up to what's called the Serenity House. It's a sober living transitional house. Um, so I moved up here. I got a job at Walmart as that door greeter, as I was telling you about. I graduated from the Serenity House. It's a six month program. And I stuck around for about a year total, about a year and a half total. Um, I actually met my, my girlfriend that I have now, which after I get off a disability, it's really complicated. Again, another obstacle with disability, when you get married, they consider your income as a whole. And it's just, you don't want to be on disability when you're getting married, in my personal opinion. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's how I met my girlfriend when I worked at Walmart. And um, 
as as soon as I started working at, or a little bit before I started working in Walmart, I had met a couple people here in Salina that were plugged into the speaking world. And I got in touch with someone named um, Kevin Honeycutt. He is a international keynote speaker. And he invited me to a class out in Hutchinson, Kansas. Um, just kind of taught me the ropes on I need to how to organize my messages and how to prepare for a, a presentation, how to put together a PowerPoint, what needs to go in it, what doesn't. And from then on, I mean, it's still growing. I'm on all social media platforms, yeah. um, trying to gain as many followers as I can to get my name out there. I know there's a lot of motivational speakers out there. And I know there are a lot without their, well, I can't, I, I think of Nick Vujicic, that's who my, I won't say my mentor, but a someone I look up to. Have you? I don't know if you if you're familiar with him or not. With Nick Vujicic, I don't I don't know that I am necessarily. Okay, yeah, he uh he has a torso, and he has a little leg like mine. He calls it his chicken wing, <laughs> and um, he's an evangelist as well, and he's been doing it for about ten years almost. Mm. And he's married, he has four kids, and he's out there doing his thing. And that's what that's what I want to eventually be. Yeah. So I'm getting closer and closer. Yeah. I do have my day job, so everything's just kind of turned <laughs> into where we're at now. <laughs> well, and I, I take away from what you said a couple words that I like I just wrote down even tenacity, grit, determination, humor. I mean, do you think that humor is an important part of storytelling for you? Oh, definitely. It keeps yeah. the audience engaged. Um, I, I always try and tell a joke when I first start off a presentation to not only break the ice, get them, because when people laugh at each other, you're going to get comfortable with each other really quick. Yeah. So I think that kind of breaks the ice, gets everybody laughing, and then I get into the presentation. So yeah, I think that, that plays a big part in it. Yeah. Is that is that why your Twitter handle is all thumbs? Yeah. <laughs> that, that cracked me up. I, when, when we first started talking, I, I saw that was like, that man, that's, that's pretty good. I, I like this guy. <laughs> no, it was actually when I was in that class. Um, I didn't have a tw I had a Twitter, but it was just like D Powell 2004 or something like that, something generic, you know, just with the name. But I wanted it to gain attention, and I think that might be a little attention getter. And people can find out about my personality because I do use a lot of humor. Yeah. And so that's why everything now is all thumbs 2004. My Facebook page handle, my Twitter handle, my Instagram handle. Um, nice. yeah. So all my social media, just about except for LinkedIn and YouTube, is um, at, at all thumbs 2004. Yeah. I mean, you might as well have fun, right? Like get people yeah. to laugh. Like you said, they can get to connect. You can't be too serious in life, man. You got to have fun with life. You got to yeah. enjoy life, not just be all work and seriousness. You got to have fun. And yeah. that goes with the family, with the kids. I don't want to be that dad. That's all. You better do this and you better do that. I want to have fun with them. I mean, be stern at the same time and have structure, but then again, yeah. play with them and raise them to be funny and not all uptight, be loose. Absolutely. Well, and especially, I mean, I, I, I got to believe you know, facing those kind of obstacles that you have, having that humor has helped you to cope, I would guess. I mean, besides the tenacity and the grit and everything else, like being able to have a little bit of fun uh, right. must help, I guess, right? It, it does help. And I think it also, um, my father's a huge mentor to me too. We talk all the time about business stuff. He thinks my... I guess mixed with humor and just the way I, I handle people at the beginning 
when they're kind of alarmed, oh, he doesn't have hands, how do I talk to him or how do I shake his hand or what do I do? I have a good way with disarming people right off the bat. After our first conversation, <laughs> I have a lot of people forget, including my girlfriend, including good friends, that they ask me to do something. Oh, shoot, I forgot, <laughs> here, let me do it real quick, they forget. I can do a lot of things, but there's some things here and there that I can't do and people forget because just the way, just the way I handle myself and my personality, you would never think that I am the way that I am. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a testament to, to everything that you do that they they can forget the physical part of it and just know David, right? So, right, that's exactly. Cool. That's cool. Um, and I, and I had to, of course, I, I I love really bad puns and jokes and and awkward oh, humor. Okay. And when go. when you said I like to disarm people, I kind of chuckled myself right there. So, I, I don't know if that was purposeful or not, but <laughs> like. All right. All right. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, so, so what is it, do you think about storytelling that moves you so much? I mean, is, and, and whether it's storytelling through the writing that you're doing, through the speaking that you're doing, I mean, I know, I know you're working on a book, you know, um, a, a busy guy like you are slowly, but surely I know that, <laughs> um, right. you know, your speaking career is just starting to take off and you're getting gigs out there and that kind of right. thing. What is it about that storytelling that moves you? Why did you know at such a young age, this is what you wanted to do? Well, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. From a young age, my mom kind of instilled it in me. And I think she wanted, me and my dad talk about this sometimes, I think she wanted some fame out of it for herself mm. as well. And maybe some pity on top of that. So I think she wanted the speaking, not necessarily for me, but to get recognized that she's a struggling parent who has a disabled child, blah, 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 let's get all the pity and get all the handouts and so on and so forth. But as I got older, um, I'm, a, I'm a strong Christian. I'm not one of those kind of Christians that go to church every Sunday due to the fact that I'm a very busy man. Um, I make time for God every night when I say my prayers. I do make time for him then. Um, I think God blesses with people such as it's football players with big hands, big feet, great agility, strength, speed, and they turn into football players and the NFL pro. Um, I think doctors give some people great coordination and a great brain where they can go to the doctors or um, go to school to be a doctor and become a doctor and a surgeon and be successful. I truly believe that God put me on this earth. He gave me just enough to get by with what I got, I take a shower, I get dressed, I change diapers, I make bottles, I brush my teeth, I do laundry, I do anything you you can do. That's, that's more than a lot of dads do, just so you know, with full yeah. arms. <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> but if I didn't have these little arms right here, mm -hmm. which they're probably about a half a foot, six inches, seven inches long, I do not know what I would do. I use these things as my hands. Mm -hmm. And as I said, I think God gave me just enough to do what I have to do for myself and my family. Um, he's put me through addiction. He's put me through living with my mom who was struggling. He put me through getting ripped away from that and moving with my dad and a new family. Um, I think everything that God has put me through is giving me more messages to speak on with my presentations, because I, I truly believe God, my purpose is to be a motivational, inspirational speaker, to speak through him, 
and to help people all over the world with whatever they're struggling with. Oh, I have a broken finger. My life's over. Oh, my car broke down. What do I do? Just put it in their face that it could be so much more, could be a lot more, could be a lot worse than what you're complaining about. And here I am without arms and legs telling you all the stories that I've been through and how I overcame those obstacles and that it's possible to do anything you want if you want to do it. If you're, if you're not ready for it, you're not going to make it a priority and it won't get done. But if you truly want something, you will figure a way out to do it. Uh, I love the idea of inspiring others. I think that's really cool. Um, and then again, you'll go back to humor using that a little bit. Um, I, guess, I think that's really cool, David. When it's, you- it's, it's, it's really rewarding too. Like the feeling that I get after I have a speaking gig every now, well, actually pretty, pretty commonly. Um, I at least have one person come up after, after a presentation and they can relate to what I was speaking about and they say how much it helped them. Um, and we have a, about a 10 or 15 minute conversation. And after that conversation, knowing I helped that one person, and that's my goal to help one person out of an audience, at least one person. And when I get that confirmation from someone coming up to me afterwards, the feeling it gives me, gives me goosebumps right now thinking about it because it's like a high. Mm-hmm. It's like an adrenaline rush. I love the feeling I get from helping people. So it's and it's not only benefiting them, but it's benefiting me too. That feeling is awesome. Oh yeah, and and when you get off stage, you see that line of people waiting to talk to you. Is like, I did something yeah. right. I love that feeling. That's one of my favorites. <laughs> when yeah. when you talk about your mom, uh, you know, I, I I feel like it could be really easy to get angry. You know, I feel like I mean, I I almost like get feel for you. You know, I, words come to mind like selfish, um, you know, neglect, that kind of stuff. How, how is it that you have a different outlook on that? How have you, I guess I should ask, have you forgiven her for her choices? How does that work for you? It's, it's really weird, and I'll try to explain it the best I can. Um, I know my mom had a lot of struggles, but we had a great relationship. I was a huge mother's, mama's boy. Um, I was upper butt all the time. <laughs> I, I don't know, man. Like I know I was a kid maybe and I didn't notice it at the time what she was doing. Mm-hmm. So and then as, of- as I became a young adult through my twenties, to be honest, I was high the whole time just about mm-hmm. when I never really got to think about it. And then when I got sober and cleared my head, of course thought about it. But by the time it was all thought about, me being an addict too and knowing how I would have treated my children probably if I was an active addict. You're very selfish when you're an addict. You don't care about anything else except where your next high, your next drunk, where money's coming from. So I'm not making an excuse for her, but I can relate on what she was going through when she was doing that. So I know it sounds crazy. I was never really upset with her. Um, she did end up passing away in 2001 on off of a um, unintentional overdose she was over prescribed medication i was a little angry at her for that nothing extravagant where i held on to it or anything you know when that when she initially passed away um i felt all kinds of emotions and as i said as as close as i was to her um anger was one of the emotions i eventually felt but it wasn't one of those feelings that i held on to for the rest of my life it was kind of something i got over as time went on. So I know it's crazy. I don't know why or how I wasn't really upset with her, but I guess to answer the question, I I know what it's like to be an addict and an alcoholic. And I think it justifies that 
maybe not to everybody listening to this, but to me, I did. Well, it's, it's the empathy, you know, not, whether you've been through it or whether you just can have that empathy, you can see that no one's perfect and, and that she did her best and this kind of thing. I'm sorry you, uh, you lost her. Um, so. I didn't even include that when I was t- telling you about everything earlier. I, uh, I was a freshman in high school and, um, her, she was living in Wichita Falls, Texas. She, she moved to Texas when my dad got custody of me to be two hours away. So she can come and pick me up every other weekend in the holidays and whatnot and summers. But um, she ended up having a cousin move in with her. And this is when the internet started becoming a big deal back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. And um, her cousin was one of those strippers or meeting guys online to pay for everything and that kind of deal. So um, her cousin ended up meeting someone in Arizona that bought her an RV she wanted to drive it back, but she didn't want to um, carry the or tow the van behind her. So the guy flew my mom up for the weekend to drive the van back behind her. He was in a pair and there was some kind of discrepancy. And my mom and my cousin went to a casino to drink and just partied up, I guess. And um, she was prescribed methadone. And um, as I said, I don't know. I, I feel that there was more to that story. Um, my mom's cousin passed away about 10 years ago. So I've kind of just accepted it's done with. I don't want to revisit it. Not that I could anyway, but I still have always felt there was more to that story because when they got home, she died in her sleep. And I don't know. I just don't know the fatality of the situation. I think there's more. But bottom line, she, I was a freshman in high school. Um, I was in ninth grade, and that was hands down out of all out of all the things that I've experienced in life. That was hands down the most dramatic, excruciating, devastating experience I've ever I've ever had. Yeah, sure. On top of the disability, which I don't know if you've gauged this from talking to me yet, the disability has not really played a huge negative factor in my life. So my mom's death though was a big deal. So that's another message too that I can I can speak on if I ever have an engagement that needs something like that. Absolutely. Well, yeah, man, I'm I'm sorry you lost your mom. That's never easy, especially under those circumstances, man. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I get the feeling from you, David, that you almost like uh, almost thrive on on the disability. Like that's made you, you know, so much more. I don't know just uh, able, I guess. Like, yeah, anyway, I, I think it's really cool. And, and I got to imagine that when you're, when you're talking to schools, like you do, you're inspiring kids or whether you're talking to a, a corporate, you know, audience inspiring them, like it has to be, it has to be pretty, it has to feel pretty good, I guess, to be up there. It, it feels really good. And, and one mm-hmm. thing I've noticed is the first presentation that I've had was my life story. It's pretty lengthy. And I do struggle a little bit with keeping everyone, everyone engaged for an hour and 15 minutes. because That's about how long it is. Mm-hmm. But from that, I'm noticing different segments throughout my life story that I can make its own presentation on and expand on it for an hour. And my, uh, my most recent one, it was for a disability mentoring day and it was for employment. And so I went in, I, I gave about 15 minutes to talk about who I am what I do, where I come from, a little bit of my family. And then I just went in straight into the barriers that I've faced working because I've had had a lot, actually. Um, my favorite story to tell um, about employment is um, it was through Silver Leaf Resorts, they're a timeshare company. 
Um, I was work. I applied. Me, okay. Me and three other friends. Me and two other friends. My two roommates at the time. We went in there. It's a call center, so you put in an application. They call you the next day. Start orientation probably the next week. It's a really easy job to get. So we went in, put in an application. They got a call the next morning. And I was like, okay, well, let's just write on this for a minute. They have till five. You know, I'll give them till five o'clock. Do 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 do. Nothing. So okay, I already know. I already know what's going. I see. I know why I didn't get a call back. So the next day, I I went in actually, and I asked to speak to the director of the call center, and luckily he was available. So all I had to do, we went to a conference room. I showed him that I can type on a computer. I showed him that I can write a reservation slip, and I wound up in the same orientation class as my friends. But because of the hiring manager, he doubted me. He didn't think I could write. He didn't think I could type. Nor did he even ask if I could do could perform these job duties. He just assumed. And if I didn't have the mindset that I have, I would have lost that battle, and I would not have had a job. And that's how a lot of people get treated out there. And that was so awesome about doing that at disability at a disability mentoring day. They're high school kids about to go into the workforce and about to go into adulthood to teach them to stand up for yourself. Don't let people tell you what you can't do. You tell them what you can do and you demonstrate that if you have to in an interview, that way there's no questions or no assuming or or any of that. And you don't have to go through what I went through. Yeah. So I love speaking on, on instances like that that I'm real passionate about because I've been through it and it irritates me how people assume and judge I'm glad I have the attitude that I have because I would have been passed up on a lot of opportunities in my life, but I stand up for myself. I'm a very intelligent person, not to sound cocky, <laughs> but um, I, no, I stand no. up for myself on things. And so I don't let tell me, so anybody tell me that I can't do something. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between cocky and confident. You have, you have confidence, sir. I can tell it. I don't, <laughs> I don't get cocky at all. You have a humility about you too. Um, what do you, what do you think Now you, you mentioned having a hard time keeping a, a presentation you know, concise or, or keeping them engaged or whatever. What, what do you find is your biggest challenge uh, in storytelling? Well, okay. So the employment presentation I gave was about an hour, but when I broke it down to one segment from the life story, it's easy for me to keep them focused because I'm passionate. My voice fluctuates. I get serious. I laugh. I get pumped up. I get the crowd fired up. Whereas in my life story, there's so many different things that I talk about and it's hard for me to focus on each thing that I'm talking about. So I think I'm kind of monotone towards the end because I'm kind of getting tired and so is the audience. And as long as I'm not doing my whole life story, I'm good to go. And I'm learning how to branch segments, stories from that life story onto more specified segments that I can focus on and have a great time throughout a, an hour presentation. Hmm. If that makes any sense, what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Is, do you so, think that, is that kind of your biggest challenge then do you think is, is figuring out that cadence as you're beginning your speaking career? Yeah. Okay. I guess my biggest challenge, which was, and still might be a little bit is figuring out how to break down stories from my life story into hmm. presentations. Gotcha. And the way, the way that I handle that now is on my website, um, davidpowellspeaking.com under my um, speaker menu items, um, my life story is included with a couple bullet points on what I touch on in that. And whenever I get a inquiry from someone interested, 
I make sure they look at the life story and see the bullet points. And I ask them from the bullet points, is there anything specifically from that that you would like? And they tell me what they would like. And then I go make a presentation based on that. That's what happened at the employment one. Mm. So I guess I'm not really being proactive about breaking down the stories. I'm just letting schools and organizations tell me what they want. And then I customize a presentation to what they would like to do. Sure. So. Gotcha. Um, do you have a favorite audience type to speak in front of? Is it, is it students? Is it adults? Is it something specific? Do you, do you have a favorite? So far, I've probably had about seven, maybe eight gigs in the last two years. I spoke with adults and young adults that are going through poverty. I spoke to a couple churches. I spoke with a couple, um, not high schools themselves, but um, groups that are involved with high schools. So there are high school students that I spoke to. Um, and at the Disability Mentoring Day, I talked to, I don't know if you're familiar with Project Search. Mm -mm, no. They're, they're an internship and they're all over the United States as well. Um, they deal with people um, in or right after high school. And they, it's an internship where, like this one's at, and the one in Salina is at a hospital. So they find them things they can do around the hospital, but then they also figure out what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. And they get to know them as a person and they find job placement for them. They have a lot of pull of job placement where they can help them develop their career. Hmm. And so it was a project search there as well as of other kids um, that was in high school. There was a bunch of juniors and seniors. So out of all those group of kids, my favorite would have to be youth. And more specifically, I love talking to youth in general, but especially with youth with disabilities, because I know there's a lot, I know there's a lot of youth struggling with self-confidence and with obstacles and whatnot, but I can relate in their face with someone with a disability, you know, they can get told by a teacher or a counselor, they need to do this or they need to do that. But when they see me on stage without arms and I'm on top of a table on stage, yeah. They'll take me a lot more seriously than they would a counselor or just a teacher telling them what they, what they should do. Yeah. So that's what I, that's what my, that, that's my favorite, I guess, to answer your question. Yeah. Kind of get, you kind of get, get you passionate and to help those that you can relate to more closely, I guess. Right. I mean, I get, I get that. Absolutely. But at the same time, my message can affect the general public. It doesn't have to be specifically disabled youth. It doesn't have to be youth. It doesn't have to be people in poverty. It doesn't have to be a church group. I think there's at least one segment in my story or one, one specific time in my story that, that someone can relate to and can help somebody. So I think it's very generalized, which I'm grateful for because that doesn't have me stuck in school. I love being in schools, but that doesn't, that doesn't limit me to high schools or um, churches, I can speak anywhere to anybody, and I think mm -hmm. I can help somebody. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool, man. But I hope as that career takes off, you you know you're able to to continue to do that and find find the niches that get you the the notoriety. But then, like you said, you're able to speak to others. So, man, that's that's pretty right. fun. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, how do you think? You mentioned earlier that you're on on the social media channels, the the normal ones. You have a website. How do you think this digital media affects this millennia old craft of storytelling how how is this stuff affecting that that whole thing for us right now i think it's crucial mm -hmm. i think it's a great thing um sometimes i think you know if i was doing this back in the 90s 
and I would have to cold call people. I would have to go in person, all these different businesses and, you know, in different States, I'd have to make road trips to go talk to people or call people. I like to I'll, personally, I, I'm, I'm not trying to say I use my disability to my advantage, but I think when people actually get to see me and they know it's not some joke or it's not something that's, that's not real when they see me on a picture or something and they know that's me, I think they take it more serious. So I love social media and the fact that I can reach anybody I want to reach all over the world. Yeah. And they can see me through YouTube. They can see videos of what I do. They can see <clears throat> clips on my previous speaking engagements. I think it makes it a lot easier for not only speakers, but for people in the public eye to get themselves out there. So I, I, mm. I don't know what I'd do without it, to be honest with you. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it puts, it puts the world right at our doorstep, doesn't it? That's pretty uh, incredible. But you have to work it too. You can't just go get a Twitter handle or a Facebook and just let it sit. <laughs> you got to be active in it too. So yeah. people are engaged and, and want to follow you and want to see your content. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how do you, so I like, I just like jumping around cause I just have a million yeah, questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, how, how do you see when it comes to storytelling, words are obviously extremely important. Um, some people can spend, you know, years trying to find the right exact wording for something. But, but when we use words like, you know, when, when you're, we're describing you, David, disability or other things like that, how do words affect you? Do you think about that very much? You know, when your friends don't think of you as disabled, does that mean something deeply to you? Or is it just kind of like, eh, words are just words? Words are just words. Yeah. Um, I know... I haven't had it called towards me before, but I know it's out there. The word cripple, mm -hmm. that is one word I do not like. Okay. I think it sounds demeaning. I think it sounds um, abusive. So if anything, I use the word handicapped or disabled. Okay. Uh, I don't like the cripple word. I don't know why that rubs me the wrong way, <laughs> but it, that's just one of the words that does rub me the wrong way. Sure. That's so, good to know. And and I like in your, in your Twitter bio, you've got all these, you know, all these words, father, fiance, Christian, uh, adapter, uh, obstacle crusher, but you also have these emoticons, emoji. And the one of the disabled, you know, we usually see the wheelchair. It's got the one where he's leaning forward and like racing. So, I mean, imagery is important, right? Imagery and words are very important. important. So. Yeah, very important. That's, that's good to know. That's cool, man. I appreciate it very much that, uh, that you've taken the time to do this for me. Um, if, if you could only tell one last story though, and somebody said, okay, David, you've had some, you've had some stage time, you've done your thing, but you're done telling stories. You have to do something else. What do you think that last story might be for you? Um, I see me staying in the career that I'm in as far as the independent living specialist, as well as doing my speaking engagements, but I have thought about, at this time, my passion is way more in the speaking than it is my day job. So if I start getting engagements, which I think will be a reality in a couple years, when I start getting, where I have to have a manager because they won't stop coming in and I have to have a calendar and have to have hotels and you know traveling all over the place. I would like to see what I'm doing now as a speaker be a long time career and maybe even start a business. I don't know what kind of business just yet, but as far as taxes are concerned, <laughs> that's why I wanted to do that yeah. in my speaking. Um, 
endeavors. But then again, knowing myself, I'll think of something eventually and we'll want to do it. And so maybe having my own business, maybe another story for in the future that may be in the, in the, uh, in the works for the future. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I appreciate the time today, David. Uh, it has been fun. Uh, I look forward to watching your career. I can see this being something that we look back on, you know, two, three, four years from now and go, remember that time that we talked in that, on that little podcast and, and look at this guy now, you're going to be the next, you know, Tony Robbins or whatever. Um, so all the best. <laughs> and as far as you too, you're the one that found me. This is my first podcast. And there's been a couple that I've tried to get on, including the one I was telling you about, yeah. but there's certain requirements and regulations that they won't, that they won't, that you have to do that in order to do it. And I just don't have that yet. So it's kind of a barrier, but mm-hmm. here me and you are, and we can look back on this and yeah, absolutely. Where, where it started. <laughs> absolutely, man. I hope, I hope I can be part of that story for you. Better part of it, man. So where's, where's the best pe- place for people to uh, find David Powell? Um, I'm on Facebook um, and, and the handle all thumbs 2004, A L L T H U M B S 2004. Um, that'll lead you to my, not my personal Facebook page, but I do have a like page for David Powell speaking. So that will lead you to that. Um, I do stay pretty consistent with that as far as an inspirational quote of the day. Um, I put videos on there every now and then I go live every now and then like uh, my, my dad just came up for an early Christmas with the kids since we can't go down there this year. And I went live with, uh, my, my, with Emmett, the three month old and he had his cowboy gear on. I had my cowboy gear on. We're about to watch the cowboy game. So I go live from time to time too. Um, so there's Facebook. I'm also on Twitter at all thumbs 2004. I'm on Instagram at all thumbs 2004. I have a YouTube channel, which is that David Powell speaking. And I also have a LinkedIn, which is David Powell speaking as well. Cool. But I'm more active on Facebook than anything. I'm still active. I'm pretty active on face our Instagram and Twitter. I was, I was, I was with YouTube about a year ago, but life has gotten so busy where I still do it from time to time, but not as much as I did um, until things settle down. That's probably where it'll stay. So I encourage Facebook or, or Instagram or Twitter for the yeah. time being, but don't, don't hesitate, you know, follow me on everything. If you want to Absolutely. be there, subscribe, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'm more active on Facebook than anything. I would think. All right. And that's all, of course, all at David speaking.com too. So um, I'll link to all that in the show notes. So if you're listening, uh, check out the show notes. If you're driving and listening, don't check them out yet, but go back to the show notes and get them. Uh, <laughs> you can find David in all those show notes. So, Man, I, I really appreciate your time today again, my friend. I can't say it enough. Uh, thanks for being a part of the Storytellers Network. All right, Dan. Thank you. Once again, thank you so much, David Powell, for joining me on the Storytellers Network. You can connect with him at the links down in the show notes. And if you enjoyed the episode, hey, feel free to share it with someone, right? Sharing is caring. Tweet it, put it on Facebook, send it over on LinkedIn, send it somebody an email, however you want to do that. Very much appreciated. And if you want to share your story with me, Go to the storytellersnetwork.com and hit contact Dan on the contact page. Send me an email and let me know what's on your mind. Until next time, here's to telling our stories, having stories to tell. Cheers.